Here's the text of chapter 2, verses 1 through 15 again. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed, a herald, an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So in the opening, he encourages us to pray. And there are four different definitions for prayer that are given in the text. There's, I mean, prayer itself. This is talking to God in general. The Greek word that he uses here is prosukas. And then he says petitions as well. This is when we're asking God for things. Petitioning God for protection for our leaders. Petitioning God to change our leaders' hearts where they need to be changed. The, the Greek word that's used here is diases. And then the word for intercessions, where we pray on behalf of our governmental leaders. This is this is in tudzes. This is where we're praying on behalf of them. Think Roman centurion going before Jesus saying, if you just say the word, you can make my servant well. And so intercessorily, he prays on behalf of someone. Uh, it's remarkable. It's a healing not based on the faith of the person who's being healed, but on somebody else's faith on behalf of the afflicted. This is a lyric in the song, Awaken Seattle, that we sing at the Redemption Church. It's a prayer for revival in our area that we sing out to God. And in the bridge, we name all these local neighborhoods of Seattle that we live in. And uh, one of the lyrics is, God, we lift our city leaders. We will be their interceders. We're praying on behalf of our city leaders. That was all written for this moment because we knew that First Timothy chapter 2 was coming up in the study plan. So there's prayers, there's petitions, there's intercessions, and then thanksgiving, Eucharistus. This is just thanking God. These are the four kinds of prayer that we're to lift up on behalf of uh, those who are in charge of our, our uh, in charge of the state, you know, because it, it, it pleases God when we lead tranquil lives and we're, and we're led and governed well. Uh, and this is all because God wants everyone to be saved. We see this in verse 4. This is God's expressed will. It's also God's expressed will that we would not commit murder. See the Ten Commandments, do not murder. We know that's God's will expressed. And yet he leaves us with the faculties to commit murder. He doesn't bind our hands in such a way that they, they may not murder. But we know that it's God's will that murder not take place. It's God's expressed will through a commandment. Every one of the commandments is an example of God's expressed will. But then we see prophecies like the book of Revelation where it's God's decreed will. God's going to do this. It's his right. It's his prerogative. He's the sovereign. He's the Lord. He's the omnipotent. He's the creator. He's the judge. It's his absolute right to intervene and guide history. It's his story. After all, he's the Alpha, he's the Omega, he's the one in control. So we see God decree his will and impose his will, rightly so, when, when he does, when he, when he wills. In the meantime, though, he will give us commands, he will express his will. It's his desire that everyone be saved, but we also know that not everybody's going to confess Jesus as Lord. Not everybody's going to be saved. By default, we're condemned. By default, we're all heading toward hell, and that's because of our sin. But God saves us. While we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That's phenomenal that Christ would even save even one of us is amazing. It's an outpouring of grace that we'll never be able to thank him enough for. Yet, we know that it's God's desire that everyone would be saved. That's what God actually wants. Not everybody's going to confess Jesus as Lord. Not everybody believes that he's the son of God. 
That's no small thing, by the way, to disbelieve in Jesus, to deny the Savior himself, to deny the one who gave his life for you, to look at that and say, I don't buy it. It's no small thing to call him a liar. No, you're not really Lord. You're not really the Son of God. You're not really the way, the truth, the life. You didn't really resurrect from the dead. It's no small thing. Not everybody's going to believe Jesus. Narrow is the gate. Narrow is the path. Few find it. So here's God's heart so that everybody would be saved. This is a phenomenal way to answer the question. We saw this earlier in, in, our, in our text as well. How could a good God send people to hell? It's remarkably still a common question that gets asked. You know, anybody who's familiar with the Bible automatically knows like God doesn't send anybody to hell. That's where we're going. God saves those who confess Jesus as Lord. But still, it gets tossed around a lot. So this is a really great way to answer that question. The way you can remember it is by 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 1, 2, 3, 4. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It pleases God our Savior when we all are governed well, lead tranquil lives. And it, this gives an attribute of God in verse 4, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what that, that's the predicate upon which verses 8 through 15 come, where he asks that men everywhere pray and just lift up holy hands. Also, women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works. Contextually, we also know that some of the, some of the women in this context were actually stacking gold on their heads <laughs> like the, it, we saw Peter call this out as well it was a, it was a, a fashion statement but it was also just kind of showing off how wealthy you were uh, there was one there was one um, one wife of a Caesar who was known to wear like a million dollars worth of pearls and gold. gold pearls are actually worth more money than gold in this context but to show off your pearls to show off uh, show off all of your gold and to stack it up on your head was to basically just walk around with money in your hands and that was the, the Paul's point is like that's not what makes you beautiful when you when you come to worship you're prepared well okay don't you don't need to wear a feed sack to church it's not what he's saying saying well, your beauty comes from your good works. Your beauty comes from your spirit, not from the gold stacked up on top of your head, not from your elaborate display of wealth or your pearls, not your expensive apparel, but with good works, he says in verse 10, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. That's what makes you beautiful, not your expensive clothes. I'll be honest, ladies, we men don't know really good fashion from bad fashion. We can't tell if you bought it at Marshall's for 15 bucks or from the designer for a thousand. We don't really know the difference. I, at least maybe I speak for myself, we, I, I don't know. <laughs> so it may be wasted money anyway. <laughs> All right, go help out a homeless person instead. Just go to TJ Maxx. <laughs> and, and instead, let your beauty come from your heart, your spirit, the good things you do for the Lord. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. All right, these are two of the most offensive verses in the whole Bible. They're not difficult to interpret. They're really not. It's just difficult to accept. So if you've come from a background where there's a, you know, a woman who's referred to as a pastor and she's had a huge impact on your life and she led you to Christ or you're related to her, this is, this is the most common experience I've, I've had in engaging pastors who disagree with this passage is that they just, they can't accept it because, you know, grandma was a pastor, their mom was a pastor, their, their wife considers herself a pastor. Like they, and they come upon this verse like, I just can't accept that. They believe that it dishonors women. That's only possible if scripture dishonors women. 
So this is a really difficult moment. I understand what it's like to disagree with your family, disagree with your wife, disagree with your mom, to be able to you know, uh, correct the teaching that's all over your family line and your legacy and what everybody in your clan kind of believes. It's hard to defy them. I've done that before. It's hard to do, but it's, it's a matter of submission to the scripture of God. You either believe it's the word of God or you don't. It's really not hard to, it's really not hard to accept. Don't treat this like Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. This is the word of God. Don't try to use the context of Ephesus to make this say the opposite of what it says. Don't echo the serpent with a literally satanic hermeneutic and ask, did God really say this? Because God really said it. And it wasn't just for Ephesus. It was true of Corinth, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, Asia, every church in the ancient world. This is God's design. There's only one context in which women are precluded from preaching. That's the corporate worship setting. All right, look, and his justification, by the way, was not exclusive to the context of Corinth. His appeal is to nature. See verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. He goes all the way back to Eden for the basis of his appeal. That's just the text. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. That's not difficult to understand at all. Verses 11 through 14, they're not hard to understand. Verse 15 is hard to understand. All right, but verses 11 through 14, crystal clear. We all know this. So yesterday we gave an interpretation of verse 15. I'll recap that. I believe he's talking about Eve, which says, but she will be saved through childbearing. This is consistent with the proto-euangelion in Eden. It's prophecy about how Christ would be born through the woman. There's enmity placed between the serpent and woman. And it's true. It come, this, this prophecy comes to realization. It's true. She is saved through Jesus, the man born of woman. It's, uh, it's amazing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. These are attributes of a godly woman in Ephesus, repentant from her former lifestyle, perhaps serving at the prostitution establishments and the pagan temples and the worship of Artemis that were ubiquitous throughout the city of Ephesus. So that's just a recap on chapter two. I wanted to put everything in a larger context. We're also going to recap this again for those who haven't tuned into these devotions when we preach on chapter three this weekend. That's the recap. That's it, man. Would you take a moment in light of this text to lift up holy hands and to pray in intercessory, uh, intercessorily for your government leaders, to pray in general, just talk to God about the state of things? Would you thank God for the good things that have come about for you know your community leaders? And uh, and would you likewise uh, also in, in in speaking with in speaking with God? Sorry, I forgot the fourth type. <laughs> but uh, just petition, just ask God. Ask God for a change of heart where necessary. Ask God for provision. Ask God for protection, um, especially now as we look at threats being made, for, for example, against the lives of Supreme Court justices. Uh, would you pray for protection? Because I, I don't want anybody assassinated, not even the ones that I disagree with. All right, uh, good grief. No, pray for protection for Justice Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. Um, pray for Justice Roberts. Pray for all of them, actually. That's, that's scary stuff. So apply this text, lift up holy hands, pray for government leaders. Um, ladies, I'll see you at church.